Go with me to James chapter 1, would you? James and chapter 1, last week here in James 1, we noted that to overcome temptation, we must expose the source of temptation and our own sinful desires. Our own sinful desires are that source of temptation, says James in verse 14. And there's to be no blame shifting, as James makes clear. God does not tempt us. And then we noted that to overcome temptation, we must arm ourselves for battle by pursuing right thinking, because there is a battle taking place in each of our lives against sin and with sin, and we need to arm ourselves for pursuing right thinking with the Word of God as our guide. And today we learn from James how to avoid our tendency to be deceived when we find ourselves in the midst of trials. I have often encouraged you that when praying for those in the midst of trials of all kinds, to not only pray for those things that we naturally pray for, for people who are going through trials, such as for healing or for deliverance or for wisdom, and possibly wisdom would be something we would pray throughout any trial someone would face. But whatever the case may be, in the midst of those trials, I have encouraged you to pray also that the one in need will be strengthened spiritually. That the, that the one in need would not be laid low spiritually in the midst of a dark and difficult trial. And so we ought to pray for one another that we would be uplifted and strengthened spiritually no matter what the trial. And we ought to pray for the spiritual health of the one facing any trial because our tendency when facing trials is to be tempted to doubt that God is sovereign, that God is in control. We are tempted to doubt that God is in control. And we are tempted to doubt that He works all things for the good of those who love Him and that He is working even through our present trials to grow and to strengthen us and to shape us In the obedient image of His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, we are tempted to doubt. And that is the temptation that James deals with here in our passage in James chapter 1. I want you to go with me to verses 16 through 18. Let's look at these verses this morning. Verses 16 through 18 in James 1, where James says, Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. So I want you to think with me this morning. How does God intend to help us with his word here in James 1 as we face trials and we are tempted to doubt God and we are tempted to be deceived 
about God's intentions in the midst of our trials. James warns us, and again, this is by inspiration of the Holy Spirit by which James writes, and James warns us that we must guard against being deceived. Do not, verse 16, do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. James is speaking to believers here, obviously, right? My beloved brothers, he says. James is speaking to believers and he's saying, don't allow yourself to be led astray. Don't allow yourself to wander from the truth. For one thing, there is great blessing which awaits all of God's children who live by faith. Think of it. There is great blessing for all of God's children who live by faith. Think of the heavenly and eternal reward that we have to look forward to as God's children. We saw James point to it earlier when we studied verse 12. Go back to verse 12 for a moment where he writes, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. Now that's the opposite of being deceived, okay? Think of it. Verse 12, blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. The opposite of being deceived. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life which God has promised to those who love him. Think of it. The eternal reward, the crown of life, that's eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. Do not doubt God's goodness, James is saying. Do not be led astray from the truth. Do not be deceived. James has just said, as we saw last week, don't accuse God of tempting you. God doesn't do that. He is not the tempter. You are responsible for your own choices. So says James... And we see it in verse 14. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. And then he warns about the alternative to faith, which is disbelief. And falling to temptation. And falling to sin. And then what comes next is death. Right? And we can see it here. That's the alternative to the crown of life, which is for all who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so says James in verse 15, which we saw last week. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. And because the alternative is death, here in verse 16, James is saying to believers, do not go there. Do not disbelieve. Do not doubt. Do not allow yourself to be deceived. You see, the temptation is to think that God doesn't care about you. You realize that? Maybe you've been there. God doesn't care about my needs. He must not. He wouldn't allow me to go through this if He did. Have we not all thought that at some point in our lifetime? 
we are tempted to doubt that God cares. Or we are tempted to think that God really couldn't be in control because why in the world would He allow what's going on in my life if He was in control? Because we seem to think that we know better than God about what's happening in our lives. But James warns us to not be deceived because... God is in control. Do not be deceived because God is in control. No matter what you think, no matter what you doubt, right, to be true, God is in control because, and here's his argument, and this is a powerful argument, because we know he's in control because God only gives good gifts. We see it here in James 1.17. We're going to talk about it in a moment. God only gives good gifts. Now, when we go to the Old Testament, we can think of someone who, who lived this, this truth, that we, he didn't doubt God no matter what happened. You think of him, when I think of him, you go to the Old Testament, you think of some, some individual from the Old Testament who did not doubt God, although he, he endured great calamity. Job, right? Job. Job is one we see in the Old Testament that understood this when his wife told him, his wife told him, right? Curse God and die, Job. Thank you, wife. Curse God and die, she said to him. Hmm. Can you imagine? I can't imagine that. But Job's wife comes and, and all this calamity has come on Job's family and Job's wife says to him, after all the calamity that has come to his family, curse God and die. But Job's attitude was something far different from his wife's. And we can hear it in Job chapter 2 in verse 10 when he says, shall we receive good from God and shall we not receive evil? In other words... We gladly receive good things from God, do we not? We gladly say, God, bring on the good things. And, and how can we not say to God that I, I will accept the bad things too that you bring or, or even allow because I know, God, that you are sovereign over those things too. You see, Real faith says God isn't only sovereign over the good things, because we'd like to say, oh God, look what God does. He does good things. But God is also sovereign. He's in control over those things that we would consider to be of, of great calamity. Look at Job's life. And he says, shall we receive good from God and shall we not receive evil? How can we say, God, give me the good things, but don't, you know, I don't know about those evil things that, that happen to me and those, those calamities that fall on me. Job had the right attitude, and we can learn from Job, so he could say wholeheartedly as he trusted in God later in Job chapter 13 and verse 15, though he slay me, I will hope in him. Even if God kills me, I'm trusting in God. So James says, do not allow yourself to be deceived. Don't be led astray because though you have the promise of, of the crown of life, think of it, your eternal destiny in Christ. Think of it with your heavenly Father. You have that to look forward to. You could 
Even with that eternal hope, you could wrongly allow yourself to be deceived as you face trials and bring on yourself a kind of spiritual death, a kind of spiritual weakness, which will bring only misery in this life as you doubt God's promises and you doubt God's goodness and you doubt that God is in control. So now James tells us, what we must fix our minds and hearts of faith on if we're to be guarded against being deceived. If we're going to be guarded against being deceived in this way into thinking that we should doubt God or disbelieve His promises or to think He doesn't care about us or to think He's not in control, what must we fix our minds on to overcome this temptation to doubt? James says, fix your mind and heart of faith on God's goodness. Fix your mind and heart of faith on God's goodness. But how do we know God's goodness, James? Look at the first way James shows us God's goodness in verse 17 when he says every good and perfect gift is from God. Look at verse 17 again. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Now that certainly refutes any claim that God tempts anyone. He does not tempt anyone. On the contrary, every good gift, and that is every gift that's useful, every gift that's beneficial in its effect to the to one who receives it, and every perfect gift, and that is any gift that's complete and lacking in nothing to meet the needs of the one who receives it, those gifts come from God. The challenge earlier was that some would accuse God of tempting them. I call that the ultimate in blame shifting, Right? Oh, God did that. God tempted me. No, he did not. But God is not and cannot be the author of sin. It's against his very nature. Instead, all that comes from God is good, and especially in view here are the spiritual benefits to believers. And so when you look at your life and you look at trials, you need to be able to take a breath and stand back that, that say, in, in a way, say, with faith, I know that even though I am suffering and I, even though I am grieving now, God only intends my spiritual good through this. He is not trying to break me down and, and destroy me. He is trying to build me up and strengthen me, even with this calamity. That was Job's attitude. And that's what God's Word calls us to. And that's what James calls us to. A clear example of this is seen in Luke chapter 11 and verse 13 where we hear Jesus say, If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? There's a powerful example of a really good gift from God. Think of the Holy Spirit's presence in the life of the believer, the comforter, the encourager. The one who convicts of sin and encourages and gives us wisdom as we, as we partake of the knowledge of God's word. 
So the argument for James is that if you want to be rescued from deception, then fix your heart and mind of faith on this truth, that God is only about good all the time. God is only about good all the time. Because the good gifts are from above. Coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Think of that. No change in God. God does not change. I can't even keep track of the ways I've changed in the last year, let alone my lifetime. God does not change. Think about the combinations of change represented with the number of people who are here, right? Change everywhere. Think about the community, the culture we live in. Change everywhere. We all the time we look at it, it's like, oh my word, I, you know, I'm kind of, a, I kind of enjoy technology sometimes, but I cannot keep up. It's like every time I turn around, it's like I never heard of that one. That's amazing. Change, 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 and we can't keep up. And sometimes we're disheartened by change, aren't we? Especially as a church and people who seek the truth of God's word and we look at our culture and we see change and we go, oh, how far we've gotten from God. And sometimes we see change in a church that, that moves away from the truth of God's word and we say, oh, God, how can we do this to your word and, and move so far from the word of truth? How can we change so far? How can we get so far from the truth? And it breaks our hearts and it's disheartening at times. But God never changes. And that sets God's gifts as only good gifts. And that sets God apart from everything in this world. What God brings is only good. What God intends is only good. God's good gifts are in direct contrast here to the kinds of things that we see around us, aren't they? In the fallen and sinful world that we all live in, there's darkness and there's sinfulness and there's treachery and nothing seems to be for certain. But God is not the author of those things. But at the same time, though he is not the author of them, he is not incapable of using those very things that are uncertain for our good. Does that boggle your mind? Good. I'm not alone. All right. And the believer is most helped by fixing the mind and fixing the heart of faith on God's goodness. God is only about good. Every good and perfect gift is from above, the fa from the Father of lights, for whom there is no variation of shadow due to change. He does not change. He's only about good. And he is not incapable of taking the treachery of this world and the darkness of the, this world and using it to grow me spiritually. Amazing. Praise God. We are most helped. When we fix the mind and the heart of faith on God's goodness. That's why we hear this instruction from Paul in Colossians chapter 3 and verses 1 and 2. Take this to heart. Mark it down. Memorize this. Colossians chapter 3 verses 1 and 2. 
If then you have been raised with Christ, and that's, he's talking about believers, believers and followers of Jesus Christ, if you have then been raised with Christ, and, and the implication is that you have, <laughs> if you're God's child, this is you, you've been raised with Christ, then this is what you're to do. As God's child, as a follower of Christ, he says, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. Why? Because here on earth, the deceiver spreads darkness. The deceiver blinds the hearts and minds of unbelievers so they cannot see or believe the truth. They'll, they might hear us share it to them, but they can't, they can't believe it. Because the deceiver is at work spreading darkness and nothing is certain in this world and there is much that is not good about this world, this fallen and sinful world. And, and it is not from God. God did not create sin and he does not force anyone to sin. We make choices to sin. We learned that last week. So seek the things that are above, the good things that are from God. Fix your minds on those things. You can't help but be overwhelmed by the culture around you, so you need to actively fix your minds on heavenly things, on Christ-like things. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. So first, James points to the goodness of God in that every good and perfect gift comes from God alone. And we can help ourselves by fixing our minds on that goodness of God and fixing our minds on the things above, the things that we know are for certain, the things that we know are ours because of Christ and Christ alone. So James says, look at the goodness of God. And in that, Think of this truth that every good and perfect gift is from God alone. Fix your mind on the goodness of God and that all those good things are from God. Next, James points to the goodness of God as seen in the fact that God is the sole author of the believer's salvation. That's what James is telling us in verse 18. Look at verse 18 again. James writes, of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth. He's talking about God. Whose will? God's will. Of his own will, he. Guess where we come in? Brought us. That's where we come in. Not before brought, but after brought. Okay? We didn't bring ourselves. Of his own will, God brought us forth, how? By the word of truth, and here's where we come in again, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. God is the sole author of the believer's salvation. Fix your mind on that goodness for a moment. You didn't have anything to do with your salvation. Well, you did have something to do with your salvation. You were a sinner. You brought sin, and God sent a Savior. And he sent the Savior to the cross, 
And he was cruelly treated and crucified and he bled and died and suffered and then he rose from the dead and conquered the grave and sin and death and hell and all the time you're a bystander, a a sinful bystander. God did it all. God is the sole author of the believer's salvation. There's a clear and powerful demonstration here of God's goodness and if you can't see it, I grieve for you. God is good. God is good. Do you see it in His Son? You don't save you. You can't. You never could. And God knew that. And so He provided the only way of salvation through His Son, Jesus Christ. You aren't responsible for gaining God's approval. His Son is responsible for you gaining God's approval. You have God's approval by faith in His Son alone. It is God's own doing. Praise God, because we are incapable of doing it ourselves. Of His own will, and none of yours, He brought us forth by the word of truth and nothing you could do. Right? Think about that goodness of God. That God would save a wretched sinner. There is no greater demonstration of God's goodness than this. We sing it, don't we? Amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. How good is God? Says Ephesians chapter 2 verses 4 through 7. But God, and I know I've said this before, I love those two words. But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ by grace. You have been saved and raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages He might show the immeasurable riches of His grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. In Christ Jesus. Again and again and again. It's in Him. And we benefit. That's God's goodness. And this is how God intends for His children to equip and prepare and guard themselves against being deceived to think that God is not sovereign. What a joke! To think that God is not sovereign. That's not funny, is it? It's not a joke because it's a very serious thing. God is sovereign. Thank God He is sovereign. God is in control, and He does care, as we've seen here. In God's Word, we can see it clearly, and if we're paying attention, we can see it in our own lives. I think if you're paying attention, you can see that God cares, and He is in control. You need, you need to trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. You need to believe in God's one and only Son who sacrificed Himself for you so that you might be saved. And I, and I know that, that God will help you see. He will give you the eye 
and a mind of faith that sees that God is good and God is gracious in your life. And God is helping you. And He does care and that He is in control. The question for us today is, will we choose the proper attitude when trials come? The choice is ours. Will we choose the proper attitude when trials come, or will we allow ourselves to do what James warns us not to do? Will we be deceived? Will we arm ourselves for this battle by reading God's Word again and again, not stopping? We need to read God's Word. We need to read it again and again so that we know His promises and so that we can remind ourselves of those promises when we are about to be deceived. We can say like Jesus did to the devil, but God's Word says, Amen? We desperately need God's Word. We need to have an answer for the devil, and it better not be your own. You need God's answer, and that's from God's Word. Paul is one who shows us the proper attitude. He's a wonderful example of this, of the proper attitude. He knew that God was at work even as he was not spared his thorn in the flesh. You know that? He speaks of it in 2 Corinthians 12. Listen to verses 7-10 through 10 where Paul is saying, So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations that God was gracious to show him, a thorn was given me in the flesh so that I wouldn't think too highly of myself because God had revealed so much to me. God gave me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me to keep me from becoming conceited. Do you hear that? That's amazing. I would say, God, what's happening? Rescue me from this. Get this away from me. Of course, Paul did the same thing. Now, that's encouraging. <laughs> I understand this thing. Paul's a super saint, right? Look, Listen, three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. Oh, yeah. I probably wouldn't have stopped at three. right? But Paul says, but he said to me, God says to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My grace. For my power is made perfect in weakness, in, in your weakness, Paul. Remember? The thorn in the flesh. We don't know what it was. We can speculate about what it was. We don't really need to know what it was. And I'm glad we don't because we might say, well, that was Paul's thorn. Mine's way different. We don't know what it was, right? Listen. God says to Paul, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, says Paul, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. And our human nature says, get that guy a straitjacket. Right? Because that doesn't make any sense. But it does if you can fix your mind on God's goodness. You can look to God and say, I'm content with whatever God allows. Be it 
weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, calamities, come what may, I know God only means them for my good, and he is seeking to grow me spiritually so that I might be the person he intends for me to be as I await my eternal home and destiny with my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We can join Paul, and we can join Job, and we can join a host of other believers who've taken confidence in God's goodness, or we can allow ourselves to be deceived, and we can doubt God's goodness. The latter way is the way of grief. The latter way is the way of hardship and pain and suffering. And worst of all, it's the way of doubting God. The former way, the way of faith, the way of trusting in God's goodness, the way of encouragement, the way of trusting that God is providing even in the midst of my difficulties is the way that James is arguing we should go. And can I just say I'm with James. And God wants you to be with James because this is his word. So which will you choose when trials come? Will you choose to be deceived or will you choose to believe that God is good? And will you fix your mind and your heart of faith on the goodness of God? The choice is ours.